Voracious men and women. I was born on January the 5th, 1893, in Gorakhpur, in northeastern India, near the Himalaya Mountains. There my first eight years were passed. We were eight children, four boys and four girls. I, Mukunda Lal Ghosh, was the second son and the fourth child. Father and mother were Bengalis, of the Kshatriya caste, the second caste, originally that of rulers and warriors. Both were blessed with saintly nature. Their mutual love, tranquil and dignified, never expressed itself frivolously. A perfect parental harmony was the calm centre of the revolving tumult of eight young lives. Father, Bhagabhati Charangosh, was kind, grave, at times stern. Loving him dearly, we children yet observed a certain reverential distance. An outstanding mathematician and logician, he was guided principally by his intellect. But mother was a queen of hearts, and taught us only through love. After her death, father displayed more of his inner tenderness. I noticed then that his gaze often seemed to be metamorphosed into my mother's gaze. In mother's presence, we children made an early bittersweet acquaintance with the scriptures. Mother would resourcefully summon from the Mahabharata and the Ramayana suitable tales to meet the exigencies of discipline. On these occasions, chastisement and instruction went hand in hand. As a gesture of respect for father, in the afternoons, mother would dress us children carefully to welcome him home from the office. He held a position similar to that of a vice-president in one of India's large companies, Bengal Nagpur Railway. His work involved travelling. Our family lived in several cities during my childhood. Mother held an open hand toward the needy. Father was also kindly disposed, but his respect for law and order extended to the budget. One fortnight mother spent in feeding the poor more than father's monthly income. All I ask, please, father said, is that you keep your charities within a reasonable limit. Even a gentle rebuke from her husband was grievous to mother. Not hinting to the children at any disagreement, she ordered a hackney carriage. Goodbye. I'm going away to my mother's home. Ancient ultimatum. We broke into astounded lamentations. Our maternal uncle arrived opportunely. He whispered to father some sage counsel, garnered no doubt from the ages. After father had made a few conciliatory remarks, mother happily dismissed the cab. Thus ended the only trouble I ever noticed between my parents. But I recall a characteristic discussion. Please give me ten rupees for a hapless woman who has just arrived at the house. Mother's smile had its own persuasion. Why ten rupees? One is enough, father added a justification. When my father and grandparents died suddenly, I had my first experience of poverty. My only breakfast, before walking miles to my school, was a small banana. Later, at the university, I was in such need that I applied to a wealthy judge for aid of one rupee per month. 
He declined, remarking that even a rupee is important. How bitterly you recall the denial of that rupee. Mother's heart had an instant logic. Do you want this woman also to remember painfully your refusal of ten rupees, which she needs urgently? You win. With the immemorial gesture of vanquished husbands, he opened his wallet. Here is a ten-rupee note. Give it to her with my goodwill. Father tended first to say no to any new proposal. His attitude towards the stranger who so readily had won mother's sympathy was an example of his customary caution. An aversion to instant acceptance is really only honouring the principle of due reflection. I always found father reasonable and evenly balanced in his judgments. If I could bolster up my numerous requests with one or two good arguments, he would invariably put within my...